This is Tech Refactored. I'm your host, Gus Horowitz, the Menard Director of the Nebraska Governance and Technology Center at the University of Nebraska. We're joined today by Margaret Hiddle, Assistant Professor of History and Ethnic Studies at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and Katie Phillips, Assistant Professor of History at McAllister College. We're discussing the role of video games and technology in shaping popular understanding of history. Each of our guests drew on their expertise with Native American history and culture in consulting on the popular reboot of The Oregon Trail, a computer game series known from the 1995 version that appeared on the Apple II computer. While the 1995 version of The Oregon Trail captured the imaginations of a generation of students, including myself, it was based on a narrative of westward expansion that was fundamentally inaccurate, relying on tropes of Native American culture. In rebooting the game, the developers sought to depict Native peoples in a historically accurate way. Our guests provided those historically valid perspectives, and in doing so, they are giving players a more comprehensive picture of the Oregon Trail. We'll discuss today their roles in that project, as well as their thoughts on the ways in which technology and games shape our understanding of history and culture. Margaret, Katie, welcome to Tech Refactored. Thanks for having us. Yes, I'm happy to be here. So let's uh, start with your own experiences. Coming into this project, what were your experiences with the earlier Oregon Trail computer game? So I grew up playing this game. It's one of the things I remember from, you know, the elementary school computer classes back in the day when they had to, like, teach us how to use computers. And it's one of the things that has always stood out to me, you know, the giant green pixels on the screen and like everything that went into the game. And, you know, I even remember when we'd all get to play it in the computer lab and stuff like that. And just the conversations that people would have where it's like, oh no, like I couldn't ford the river. And I think it's, it's just really incredible like what an indelible mark this game has kind of left on an entire generation. Yeah, I can still make uh, dying of dysentery jokes in my classes when I'm teaching and my students know what it, what I'm talking about. So it's a it's a cultural reference that spans generations too. It spans and defines. I know uh, several people on this call. I expect uh, Katie uh, and Margaret, you two, might be in this cohort as well. I'm in that generation that nowadays is sometimes referred to as the Oregon Trail generation between uh, Gen X and uh, the millennials. Um, so that that's how powerful uh, a thing it was. And Margaret, you just you just made the dysentery joke. Now I'm not going to be able to uh, bring that into discussion. Um, <laughs> So uh, you both uh, were uh, young members of Native communities. Um, how did that uh, affect your individual uh, perspectives and reactions uh, to the game at that time? I don't think I noticed it as much um, when I was in like second, third and fourth grade playing the game, um, you know, because there is so little Native presence in the game. And it's so unlike what I knew my relatives to be. It wasn't until I was in high school and then really in college when I started thinking about all of the misrepresentations that I had seen um, seen in my life building up to that point that made me want to be a historian um, that I really 
remembered and looked back on how uh, how bad that representation actually was. Uh, for the benefit of people who haven't played the early version of Oregon Trail, and it hurts me to think that there are people unfamiliar with the game, despite our conversation today about the problems with the game, um, can you tell us uh, how Native peoples are depicted in the game? I think the biggest issue with the old school original version of it is that we're really not depicted or represented at all. I think there's maybe like one scene at one of the forts where one of your options is, you know, when you can pick the options and it's like, talk to somebody. I feel like there's like one instance where that person is native. And I think that erasure itself is a really big part of the game and why we were brought on to help make it a more realistic depiction. And can you tell us a little bit about uh, how and why you were approached by the developers of uh, the Oregon Trail to make a more accurate reboot of the game? Asked um, how, how did the developers approach you all and what, did, what uh, were they asking? So I think they were aware of the problems with the original game and the criticisms of the original game. And they wanted to do a better job of including Indigenous perspectives in the new version that they were making. Um, and they, um, they wanted to not just like, stick Native people in the game, um, but actually have a meaningful representation of various Native perspectives. And so they reached out to um, to historians like Katie and myself to get involved in um, giving feedback and consulting on the game. And did they have specific issues that they were interested in incorporating, or did you have specific uh, ideas that you wanted them to bring to the game? I think it was a really collaborative process they had they had some ideas about storylines they wanted to incorporate and characters they wanted to add and you know how to make native characters that you could actually play instead of having them be you know kind of just the the static ones along the side but it was they were really open and willing to hear what we had to say. And in a sense, it was, I mean, it was honestly a lot of fun. And, you know, at the same time, we did have some really hard conversations about, you know, the fact that even with the addition of Native peoples into the game, it is still a game that depicts and in a sense celebrates American westward expansion. And American westward expansion came at the expense of native nations. And so they were, but again, you know, they were really open and willing to hear what we had to say. And we would tweak the scripts and the character descriptions and the depictions. And so it was, yeah, it was honestly a really good experience. 
Yeah. And I know um, one of the things that they wanted to do from the beginning was include some kind of acknowledgement statement at the beginning. Um, in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, land acknowledgements are really common. Um, and they wanted to do something like that at the beginning. And they had a kind of generic statement at first, like we recognize, you know, the original, um, the original inhabitants of this land. And they were really open when we pushed them to have a statement that called out the impacts of colonialism and the ongoing impacts of colonialism more directly. Um, and that's the statement that ended up in the opening frame of the game. Um, are there any uh, particular uh, historical misconceptions in the game that you wanted to confront uh, that are particularly memorable uh, in your perspectives? I think one of the most uh, challenging conversations that we had was actually about music um, and getting them to tone down the flutes, um, which is also the one where perhaps there was the greatest compromise. Um, Katie, I know you uh, you had a lot of uh, you gave them a lot of good feedback after the many times they would send us tracks and we'd be like, uh, there's still a lot of flute, a little less flute. Yeah. And that's. Music is such a critical part of so many of these pop culture things. And one of the, one of the tracks like Margaret's talking about that we kind of went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth about, um, it kept having that, you know, new agey kind of flute thing that it's like, you know it's supposed to be representative of Native peoples, even though it's not historically accurate or traditionally relevant and things like that. And, you know, they kept tweaking it. They kept sending us new versions. And, you know, Margaret and I would just kind of be like, you know, this is, we understand, you know, that it's the background music for the game, but it was something we were both really... I don't want to say stuck on, but it was, we had done so much work to get the game up to that point, And it just kind of felt like that part of the music was kind of pulling us back. And so, yeah, the, the role of the music was a, a huge part of it. Yeah. So I have to ask, um, much of the work of uh, our center is focused on technology and the, the role of technology in society. Um, and uh, I'm interested in historical inaccuracies that you saw in the game uh, in terms of the technologies that were being represented. Um, I read in an article, for instance, uh, that the developers originally had had uh, Native people using bows and arrows when in reality they routinely use firearms. Um, what role did technology play in Native communities at that point in time? And how should this be uh, thought about and reflected either in the game itself or in our popular understandings? Technology, it's one of those things where the stereotypical representations of Native peoples are like, that were completely devoid of any technological advancement or enhancement. and all of these interactions with traders and the military and missionaries, native peoples were constantly adapting to the use of technology. And it was definitely a reality that by this point in, 
you know, that the, the time frame the game is working on the 1830s, the 1840s and things like that. I don't, I don't know if I would say firearms were ubiquitous in this moment, but like there were definitely around and in use and it was really important that the game reflect that. You know, in 1853, these tribes or all native people used firearms. Um, You know, it's a complex, uh, complex situation. Um, And I would also add one of the misconceptions that people have about Native Americans is that we don't have our own technologies and technology is not the sole purview of Euro-Americans. Native people developed all sorts of sophisticated technologies. Um, and one of the ways that the game tries to kind of show some native scientific knowledge is in some of the mini games where like they're talking about, um, they're talking about Pawnee medicine, right? And trying to show that native people, the Pawnee and others did have this scientific knowledge. Um, and they, you know, they weren't just reacting to Euro-American knowledge. They were, in fact, um, growing their knowledge along with Euro- Euro-Americans' knowledge. Okay. We are speaking with Margaret Hiddle from the University of Nebraska at Lincoln and Katie Phillips from McAllister College about uh, the depictions and portrayals of uh, Native people and Native American history in popular culture, and in particularly the video game Oregon Trail. We will be back in a moment for more with uh, Katie and Margaret. I'm Elspeth Magilton, the executive producer of Tech Refactored. I'm so glad you're tuning in today. You must be a very smart person, interested in technology and society. Sound like you? Check out our weekly tech roundup, posted to our blog, The Record, every Friday. This weekly roundup highlights tech news nationally, but with a special focus on Nebraska and the Midwest. Also, we know word of mouth is critical to reaching new listeners. We hope you tell all your tech-interested friends about us and encourage them to listen and check out our roundups. Now... Back to this episode of Tech Refactored. And we are back talking with Margaret Hiddle and Katie Phillips about the depictions of Native people in Native American history and popular culture. Um, Katie, Margaret, I, uh, I have to start just by asking, is there anything that the Oregon Trail did get right? The original game? Yeah, the, the the original game. I'm sure it was hard to get to Oregon in the 1830s. And there was, you know, dysentery. Well, uh, although dysentery is not very funny uh, if you're actually experiencing it, right? That's a particularly unpleasant way to die. So, you, you know, that that's a simple but actually, I think, really powerful point. Um, uh, dysentery, largely thanks to the video game, The Oregon Trail, is a punchline now. Um, and it, it goes to the trivialization in many ways of uh, uh, things that we see in popular culture and the depictions in uh, popular culture. And I, I have to add, as a resident of Nebraska, Fort Kearney is a real place. Uh, I think most people playing uh, the Oregon Trail, if they made it past Fort Kearney, they made it to the end. If they didn't, that's where they ended the game. So, yes, listeners who are not familiar with Nebraska, first, it's pronounced Kearney. And second, it is a real place. 
Um, okay, uh, so uh, the narrative arc and historical context um, play a huge role in lots of video games. Um, do you have thoughts on the role that video games play in shaping our understanding of history and culture, and in particular, um, the cultures with which uh, the players likely aren't familiar and also the developers aren't familiar? You know, Margaret and I both look at pop culture. We teach classes on pop culture and things like that. And I think video games as part of pop culture do play a really big role in how non-historians and, and things like that kind of understand history. And, you know, I just finished teaching my class on the American West. And so many of my students have played like Red Dead Redemption. You know, I, I don't think we should discount the importance of things like video games and all of the the history that goes into it. And the main thing I think it comes down to is the question of education versus entertainment. You know, how do you make things accurate if they're not entertaining? And I think that balance is really a struggle in pop culture writ large. Yeah. And I think um, video games and other pieces of pop culture reflect the dominant narrative sometimes as much as they shape it. So it says a lot more about what people think they know um, or how people understand Native Americans and other people. Um, and yeah, it shows the stories that get told over and over that continue to erase Native perspectives and tell a more celebratory version of the American past. Yeah, from a historical and anthropological perspective, I, I'd never thought about video games in this way, but I, I know uh, it, it's a thing to study the popular fiction and stories that we have told historically to not get an accurate understanding of that period in history, but to get an understanding of the understanding at that point in history, um, which is just a, a fascinating approach to uh, sociological research, um, uh, in my mind. Um, it, in my own work, I, I do cyber law and technology stuff uh, largely, there's been a longstanding debate about um, violence in video games and whether violent video games have an effect of making players more violent, creating more violent human beings and individuals, or whether there's a cathartic effect and they might actually make uh, individuals with violent tendencies less violent. It gives, I'm, I'm frustrated, I'm mad, I'm going to go play it out in uh, uh, Halo or Doom or whatever. Um, uh, are, are there debates like that uh, in this setting um, that this is escapist fiction versus this is educating and causing people to uh, perhaps just misunderstand history or worse, actively erase parts of history? One of the challenges is that video games like the Oregon Trail get used in classrooms as educational tools, regardless of their historical accuracy. Um, and in the hands of teachers who might not have the larger context and historical knowledge, then they can reinforce um, problematic narratives, and I think they do reinforce problematic narratives, especially in a classroom setting. Um, 
but I think, you know, I use the old version of the Oregon Trail in my, uh, I teach a class on the Mythic West. And so, you know, I use it as a teaching tool, but I'm also, because of my knowledge and, you know, the other scholars that I've read and the documents that I show my students and that they read, able to, I'm able to have a different conversation and to use it as a teaching tool in a different way and in a more critical and analytical way. Yeah, and I do I I do the same thing. I use the old version of the Oregon Trail in my class on you know, the American West, the history and the pop culture. And we are able to give our students the more critical analysis of it. And Margaret, I don't know about you. I still have students who have played Oregon Trail or even if they haven't played it recently, they at least you know, it's so embedded in pop culture that if you say, we're going to play the Oregon Trail, they know exactly what you're talking about. And I think it is so reflective, right, of not necessarily the moment in which it was created, but in how we view American history, how we view Native history. And one of the things that we have to do as native native studies scholars and educators is that there are so many things we have to work through and kind of push back against and recontextualize that like margaret said if you're going to use the oregon trail in like a fourth grade classroom or an eighth grade classroom without that context there's a very decent chance that it's just reinforcing the narratives that we are working so hard to kind of retell. So from the perspective of uh, any uh, creative individual, a storyteller, a game developer, a showrunner um, who wants to touch on uh, some historical or present day uh, context that uh, is going to involve cultures with which they're unfamiliar. And I, I ask both particularly uh, with uh, Native American cultures, but also uh, any culture uh, with which they're unfamiliar. Um, do you have any uh, advice or guidance that you might offer uh, these would-be creators for how to approach these topics? Uh, hire historians, hire Native studies scholars, hire the people who know and study and understand the period and the people that you want to represent. So you get it right. And don't trust Wikipedia. Um, there's, and more generally, right. Information on the internet, there's so much biased information out there. Um, and so many distorted versions of native American history that, I mean, yeah you really have to work with native historians in order to filter through all of, all of that. Um, and also uh, think about like who, you know, in addition to historians, who else are you working with? Um, can you work with native designers? Um, going back to the point about music, like are there native musicians that you can work with how can you get more people I mean here specifically native people but more generally people from the communities whose stories you're getting involved with can you get them involved in the game in respectful ways and that of course brings up questions of profit right who is profiting from 
these these video games. So those I think those are questions that we all need to think about with our work. Oh, there, there's uh, a lot of richness to those comments. Um, uh, I'd make the observation uh, that this is how I phrase things. In dynamic equilibria, information endogenizes. What does that mean? <laughs> the, the Wikipedia point. Why is there so much inaccuracy in Wikipedia? Very likely a lot of that is because of the Oregon Trail and similar depictions caused people to have historically inaccurate understandings that they went to write up and that became sources for Wikipedia. Um, so uh, uh, popular information frequently represents popular inaccuracies as much as uh, uh, historical accuracies. Um, and and on, for both of you, just on your behalf, I'll say... And if you reach out to historians and academics, pay them. Don't expect them to do work for free, um, because this is this is serious work. Um, uh, and uh, also to your point, uh, Margaret, uh, reach out to uh, uh, Native American creators or just generally have a diverse team, because that will open your eyes up to or open your work up to a wider range of eyes and perspectives. And the more perspectives see your work at the input stage, the more likely if there's a problem, someone's going to be able to say, hey, wait a second, maybe we should think about this. Let's hit pause and think about this some more. Um, uh, beyond my overly economic, uh, dynamic, in dynamic equilibria, information endogenizes uh, 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 observation, uh, are, are there other consequences that these sort of inaccuracies um, can have? One of the consequences with the view of Native Americans as trapped in the past, this static image of um, of Native Americans, especially in the 19th century, is that like it limit people sometimes don't understand that Native people still exist today. Um, and there are vast disparities when it comes to health, um, income, uh, all sorts of, uh, all sorts of areas for Native people. Um, and that is the direct result of colonial policies that started, you know, hundreds of years ago and that are carried through American expansion. And, you know, the Oregon Trail is part of this, is part of this story. So if people don't know that Native people still exist, um, then it makes it hard to address those, um, the, the way that Native people have been historically marginalized. Um, and, you know, there's issues today like um, the continued taking of Native lands and resources. The current fight against the Enbridge pipeline in northern Wisconsin is an example of that. Um, and this, the, 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 the kind of I don't know, the erasure of Native people from the history of American expansion just contributes to more taking of lands and resources. Yeah, it's that, you know, Native peoples aren't static. We're not ex extinct and we're not monolithic. And that, I think, you know, there are so many different Native experiences and histories. You know, if you compare the histories of Native nations on the East Coast to the Midwest, to the West Coast, to the Southwest, to the Southeast, to the Great Lakes. And it's, it just feels like it is such a constant battle to get people to even care about Native issues. Because as Margaret said, if you don't think Native people exist, why should you care? And how do you 
address that in the context or think about addressing that in the context of uh, something like the Oregon Trail, where you have uh, a finite amount of content uh, and uh, context that you put into the game. Do you try to make the basic point, hey, we exist? Or do you try to make the more nuanced point, hey, we exist and we're not actually a homogeneous we. There are several different cultures and perspectives with different uh, cultures here. Uh, do you uh, simplify that to make the basic point and risk uh, taking away from the uh, more complex point? Or do you try to embed the more complex point in there? What we tried to do was really emphasize the diversity of Native nations and make sure, you know, one of the things we insisted on was that Native characters have a specific nation and that they not be simply Native. So, like, if if you have a Native character coming along with your wagon train, they're not just Native, they're Lenape. Um, there's specific Pawnee stories. There's um, There will be Shoshone stories. Um because that is such a such an essential part of understanding Native American experiences, that is something that we as historians really emphasized, especially in the context of a game that takes place entirely in the past, right? There's so there's not as much room to do the we're still here. So And that that idea really kind of permeated everything we did. You know, it was looking at kind of the the trail map to say okay this leg is going to you know center these native nations this leg will center these and so on and so forth and it was being really deliberate with the names right and not using what you think of as the stereotypical historical native names right they were names that these people would have had they had, you know, Margaret, I think there was one point where they showed us like a potential image for one of the forts or something like that. And Margaret had this great point where she was like, those aren't the blankets they would have had. To have that level of attention to detail, nobody in who plays the game is going to stop and be like, man, I wonder if those blankets are historically accurate. But the point is, they are. And it was such a little thing, but I remember Margaret, when you said that, and I was just like, I never, I never would have thought of it, but it's just part of all of the layers and the intricacy. And I think that really exemplifies the work that went into this, that went into making it the best we could do in order to tell these stories and to actually bring this history and these people into a more important role in the game. And I give credit to the game loft um, people who were very willing to having these conversations and to thinking about the details. So I'm curious how uh, your work has been received more broadly. I know I've seen some press coverage uh, discussing uh, uh, this work uh, specifically and more generally. And I assume you speak about this with uh, your students in your classes as well. Um, what, what's uh, the student perspective, the popular reception to your work been? People are really excited about the game. That's the first thing. Um, I, I don't think that that's, uh, you, you're, you're underselling that, I think. I mean, th this is such a great opportunity <laughs> because this is the Oregon Trail. This is the game that everyone knows. And 
it's it's great that they're uh, uh, trying to make right in terms of their depiction um, depictions here, but also for your work and the the broader importance of these efforts. I, th- I can't think of a better way to get people to say, "Huh, th- this is something that I need to be aware of." I know Katie and I messaged each other when we saw uh, there was we. I took a screenshot and I think she said she did too. When someone, a native person had tweeted about the opening statement and how, you know, happy they were to see that at the beginning of the game. And, you know, we wrote those words together and more people will probably read those words than anything else I ever write. And that was, you know, when Margaret and I found out that we were going to be working on this, it was a lot of pressure, right? Like the, this is the Oregon Trail. This is, again, like our generation is called, like one of the names for us is the Oregon Trail generation. And so it did feel like we had a lot writing on this, not just not just as historians, not just as, you know, Native women, but as kind of some of the representatives who were putting forth this new game. and. To have this opportunity, to have this opportunity to be a part of something like this was really incredible. And again, like Margaret said, more people are gonna read the words we helped edit on the front page of that, the front screen of that game than anything else we will ever publish. So it's <laughs> well, j- just in case, uh I, I hope I'm not making a mistake in this assumption. I know you're both assistant professors. So just in case your future tenure committees are listening, that is a serious point right there. This is serious scholarship, serious scholarly impact. This is not just a video game. So uh, uh, keep that in mind, uh, tenure reviewers uh, and tenure committees. Um, I, we're, we're in a different world of scholarship than we were 25, uh, uh, 10 years ago. Um, and stuff like this has a, a real scholarly and social impact. Uh, so, uh, Katie, uh, Margaret, uh, any last uh, uh, thoughts that either of you want to offer? One thing that I think is important to point out is that one game isn't going to change everything, obviously. Um, but I'm proud of the work that we did in making a game that more respectfully incorporates Indigenous perspectives. Um, and... Um, you know, that hopefully my hope as a, you know, cheesy historian is that it will get people talking about American history and the, you know, more complicated version, more perspectives that we can tell about that past. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where the revamp of the game isn't going to change the world. But again, if we can just kind of get people talking about it and to have the chance to play the new game and to, you know, even if they're not directly engaging with it, they're still getting that information. They're still seeing more native characters. They're still seeing that interplay a little bit more. And it's, it's a step. And I think about fourth grade me, you know, I didn't necessarily notice the lack of Native representation because it's everywhere. And that's just part of being a Native person consuming pop culture. But I know that it would have meant something to me to to be able to play a game with Native characters. You know, I have I have two boys. I have a five year old. I have an almost eight year old. And 
a lot of the work I do, you know, with the stuff like this is about, and again, this sounds really cheesy as a historian, but about helping create a world where they see themselves reflected in a way that I did not. And I think when they get to the point, if they're going to play Oregon Trail in school, I don't know if that's going to be a thing by the time they get to like those grades, but for it to just be a thing that they see and that they, and that their classmates see and that kids, all of the kids who play this game are going to see. And that I think is a really big piece. Well, uh, Katie uh, and uh, Margaret, uh, thank you both so much for uh, this conversation. It, it's been really wonderful, uh, not just because I am a serious Oregon Trail nerd, but I mean, it's just been a delightful conversation. Um, and thank you, uh, everyone listening. I have been your host, Gus Hurwitz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Tech Refactored. If you want to learn more about what we're doing here at the Nebraska Governance and Technology Center, you can go to our website at ngtc.unl.edu, or you can follow us on Twitter at UNL underscore NGTC. This podcast is part of the Menard Governance and Technology Programming Series hosted by the Nebraska Governance and Technology Center. The Nebraska Governance and Technology Center is a partnership led by the Nebraska College of Law in collaboration with the Colleges of Engineering, Business, and Journalism and Mass Communications at the University of Nebraska. Colin McCarthy produced and recorded our theme music. Casey Richter provided technical assistance and advice. Elspeth Magilton is our executive producer, and Lysandra Marquez is our associate producer. Our research associate, Neil Rutledge, provided topic and substantive development. Until next time, please don't drive this and carry.